Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 103 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, author and PR consultant and founder of Vegan Business Media, a content events and training platform providing success strategies for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. Now, before we get into the main part of the show, I wanted to let you know about my online PR course and group coaching program, Vegans in the Limelight. It's ideal for small business owners, including authors, artists and creatives on a budget who understand the value of getting yourself or your vegan brand featured regularly in the media, but can't afford to spend thousands of dollars or pounds a month to hire a publicist or PR firm. With Vegans in the Limelight, you get access to online video training that takes you through every step of how to get media coverage that can help you generate more leads and sales, as well as grow your email list and social media following. So we cover how PR and social media work in tandem, how to research and target the media without spending a cent, how to find the stories in your vegan brand on a regular basis, how to approach journalists the right way with ideas and stories. That's a really important one. How and when to write a media release. How to create an online media room for your website without spending heaps of time or money. How to respond to journalists' call-outs or queries, which is the easiest and quickest way to get media coverage and free publicity content marketing and PR, so how to create your own shareworthy stuff and leverage it to the max, writing and content creation tips for opinion pieces, listicles, features and columns, speaking gigs and PR, so how to leverage events to gain media coverage, and interview tips for print, online, radio and TV. Now, as well as the video training, which you go through at your own pace over 12 months, the program also includes a full 12 months of group coaching, including a monthly live Q&A call. You can also post your questions throughout the year on the learning platform, and you can post your pitches and media releases and get feedback from me before you send them to journalists. So you've basically got me holding your hand, helping you to do your own PR for a full year. It's a great value program. It's way more affordable than similar courses. And it's the only one that's specifically aimed at vegan and plant-based business owners, entrepreneurs, authors, coaches, and creators. Current students have already got media coverage in mainstream and specialist newspapers, magazines, radio and TV shows, as well as blogs and podcasts. So if you'd like to get your vegan brand or yourself featured in the media, but don't have the budget to hire a publicist or PR agency, then I highly recommend you check out this program. You get full and immediate access to the materials as soon as you enroll. You can find out all the details by going to veganbusinessmedia.com and clicking on the link for the program Vegans in the Limelight. And there's also a link on the show notes page. And if you have any questions about the program, including whether it's right for you, feel free to email me at katrina at veganbusinessmedia.com. Now for the main part of the show. 
In this episode, I interview Leslie Durso, a vegan chef and wellness expert in Los Angeles. An Italian-American, Leslie has eaten plant-based since the age of eight, and you may remember her from her entertainment days when she starred as Leslie the Lab Girl on the popular TV show Bill Nye the Science Guy that ran from 1993 to 98. It was during the show that Leslie discovered her love of education, and she shifted from science to plant-based food. After establishing herself as a private chef for the New York City and Hollywood elite, Leslie began hosting cooking segments on television and online, including her show Accidentally Vegan for the FabFitFun TV membership community. She regularly appears on Food Network, Discovery Channel and Hallmark Channel, as well as in other mainstream media. Leslie is currently the vegan chef at the Four Seasons Punta Mita Hotel in Mexico and a chef partner at Plant Lab Culinary School. In this interview, Leslie discusses how she became a chef despite not going to culinary school, how she got the gig at the Four Seasons Hotel, the key factors that have made the Four Seasons job such a success that it resulted in her becoming the hotel's wellness ambassador, why she refuses to allow a separate vegan menu at hotels and restaurants and instead insists that vegan dishes are part of the main menu, why she prefers to partner with culinary schools and other collaborators instead of running and operating her own platforms, how to attract the right partners for your business, and much more. Here's the interview with Leslie Durso, vegan chef and wellness expert. Hello, Leslie. Thank you very much for joining me today. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Now I'm excited to have you on the show because you've got such an interesting background in terms of coming from the entertainment industry as Leslie the Lab Girl, um, and um, also the fact that you you are in a working in a mainstream restaurant, the Four Seasons. So very excited to kind of dig into your background and some of your your tips and strategies. But the question I always kick off with with every guest um, is the why. So what are your reasons for doing what you do? I have a lot of reasons for doing what I do, but I think the main theme of everything that I do is just trying to leave the world a little bit of a kinder and happier place than when I got here. Um, I love to teach people how to make delicious food that not only tastes good and makes them happy, but is really nutrient dense. And that's how I help them enjoy the healthier, happier life. (laughs) <laughs> Lovely. I love that. It's a wonderful, wonderful mission. That's what I love about the mission-driven entrepreneurs. There's always something behind it. And obviously, we know we've all got to make money to live and everything, but I love the fact that there's that, that extra mission behind it. So it's a very noble one. So I'm curious about your journey to becoming a vegan chef, because, and, and particularly because obviously in the chef kind of industry, I guess, often when you have to train or you have to you know, maybe work at places where you're serving animal-based foods or working with animal-based ingredients, was that something that you did or did you manage to avoid that? So I'm just curious about that side of things. Yeah, I, you know, I took a very unconventional route to getting to where I am as a chef. As you mentioned, I had the entertainment background and I really had this kind of life crisis, you would say, in my 20s of who am I? And I really had to figure that out and what I wanted to do 
with the rest of my life and the rest of the, uh, what I had. And um, I realized that it wasn't in the entertainment industry. And when I was doing the educational science show, I really decided to turn my love of education and the difference that we were making in the world with that towards food because nobody was really doing it in a healthful way at the time. And still today, the television programs are all chock full of nothing but very unhealthy eating and just kind of encouraging unhealthy eating habits. And I really wanted to break that through education. And I realized that it was going to be a very, very uphill battle, but it really, really started with the who am I and what do I want to do? And so when I decided to become a chef, there was no vegan culinary school. I haven't eaten meat since I was seven years old. So the idea of going to a traditional culinary school completely freaked me yeah, out. Yeah, I wondered that. Yeah. <laughs> and so I had to just take that off the table. I said, okay, well, how does somebody become a chef that didn't go to culinary school? And I realized that quite a few very famous chefs did not go to culinary school. Okay, okay. What did they do? They trained and they trained really hard and they trained with really good people. And I'm a very big proponent of mentors and learning through doing. I'm I'm not a very good student. I'm not a, a school person to begin with. So I loved this concept of just hands-on teaching and training and learning. And so I did. And I was lucky enough to get to travel all over the world. And being Italian, you know, I grew up with food. I mean, I, <laughs> of course, <laughs> yeah. I was rolling out pasta doughs and, and anything to cook with my great grandmother and my grandmothers and my mother. Uh, and we were always in the kitchen. So I had this foundation, which was priceless because I didn't have to start from zero. Um, I started from a place of pretty good understanding of food and I could make uh, extensive Italian recipes. So I started traveling and spending time in Southeast Asia. I spent quite a bit of time in Peru and Mexico and Europe, obviously a lot of time in Italy, and just learned from anyone who would teach me in restaurant kitchens and home kitchens and just was learning. I spent a lot of time in markets, um, learning flavor combinations, different cultural cuisines, how to put things together. And yes, I, I did have to see a lot of meat being made, but I was lucky that I didn't have to do it myself. I see. Um, gotcha. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. And I love the fact that you said that you were able to do that in an unconventional way, because I think you're right. There is maybe a myth that, okay, you've got to go to this school and, and do this and this and the rest of it. So I love that you've um, carved your own path out, which is wonderful. So, um, so I believe you worked as a private chef for a while. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about that and perhaps some of what your key challenges were when you first, I want you, you know, you've done all your training and then you decided to write, okay, I'm going to put myself out there and charge for this and turn this into a business. Um, how did that come about and what were some of your key challenges? Sure. Well, I, I put myself out there with not very much experience at all because I needed to make money. <laughs> I had to have a job to fund all of this stuff that I was doing. So um, I just immediately, I was like, you know what, that this is what I'm doing. I'm going to work. I'm going to cook for people and they're just going to love it. I mean, the biggest challenge was that vegan was not very cool 10 years ago. Uh, luckily that's caught up and, and we have been able to become much more successful. But yeah, the biggest hurdle to overcome, I believe, was just getting people to eat vegetables and convince them that my food was just as filling and delicious. Yeah. As, and, and how did you overcome that? How did you kind of do that? What, what's, you just cook better. 
you just cook for them and you cook better. And, you know, it got, as soon as people had my food, it was like, ah, okay. And then they'd hire me back over and over over again because they didn't realize that healthy food could taste good as well. Yeah. Um, So that's a lot of what I've had to overcome in my career is just convincing people that plants can taste amazing. Right. Got it. Got it. No, I like that. It's all often true, especially with something like food, is that once people taste it, I did an article for Forbes recently on restaurants that had decided to go vegan. And one of them is, she's actually here in Australia in the Blue Mountains. Um, and she has weddings like booked out. And these are hardly, they're not vegan weddings. Like all the food is vegan, but they're not vegans that are booking these weddings. And she says the way that she gets these bookings is that people, the bride and the groom come in and they taste, like she does little tastings and they taste it. And then they're just like, yeah, great book it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so uh, true is that once people taste the food, they're kind of like, oh, okay. It smashes all their stereotypes and uh, and then, yeah, they, they go back with it, which is brilliant. So tell us a bit about how you came. So you're the vegan chef at the Four Seasons in Mexico. And I think you said you're going to be expanding into some of those other locations. That's pretty big. You know, the Four Seasons is massive, international cha- hotel chain. Um, tell us how that came about. Uh, it's pretty exciting. You know, uh, I got introduced to some of the folks from the Four Seasons and particularly in the Mexico location and just had a conversation with them about the struggles of dining as a vegan and vacationing as a vegan because, you know, most hotels don't offer healthy menu options and it it takes guests off property because they're now searching for a vegan restaurant and so you're losing a lot of the business on property. That's so, so true. Yeah. I had a big business conversation with the general manager who's just so genius and brilliant and lovely. And we decided to just go for it. And the next week, I was down in Mexico training chefs and creating menus. Wow. So, when did this happen, Leslie? I started my relationship with them in the fall, in the early fall of last year. Oh, okay. So it's pretty new then. Great. It is pretty new and it's been an incredible ride so far. Uh, I mean, the staff has been so wonderful and helpful. I don't live down there full time, but I go down very often. So I created all of the recipes and all of the menu items, went down, did a training with all of the chefs, and then really tried to integrate all of their ideas too, so that it would be a really beautiful coming together and meeting of the minds so that these chefs could be really proud of what they were making and serving. And we've just created this beautiful relationship down there. I'm now also their wellness ambassador and I lead retreats down there. Oh, wow. Is that for their staff or their guests or both? For the guests. Oh, for the guests. How amazing. Wow. That's very open-minded of them, isn't it? That's so cool. They Um, are. They're very forward-thinking, but you know... Everything is backed up with money because if it didn't sell, no, we wouldn't be on this program. True. Very it. true. <laughs> <laughs> we've just been so lucky that the response has been epic. It's oh, unbelievable. Good. I mean, the general manager emails me every week that more and more people are booking because of the program. Ah, oh, that's wonderful. So that's interesting because you, you said that you got in contact with the ministry saying, look, it's problematic traveling as a vegan. But I'm curious how, like, what percentage of the guests are actually vegan? Or because I'm imagining somewhere like the Four Seasons, which is pretty mainstream, you're going to be having people who are health conscious and interested, who are not don't necessarily identify as vegan, but are maybe veg curious or just happy to have a healthy plant based meal. Have you got any information around that? 
I don't know exactly how many of their guests are vegan versus not vegan, but I will say that it was very important to me that when we were creating these menus, at first they wanted a separate vegan menu that people could ask for, and then it would be provided. And I said, absolutely not. I won't work like that. <laughs> right. <laughs> the menu have to be, well, I, with all of the restaurants I've ever worked for, it only works if the items are integrated into the menu. Because then, first of all, the vegan doesn't have to feel awkward and ask for a separate menu. Yes. But then you get the entire population, not just having the meat options. You look at that menu and you can order what you think looks best versus putting a label on it. So I always say like my job as a vegan chef is not to make the best vegan food in the world, but it's to make the best food. Right. And so I can make menu item options that are tastier or just as tasty as anything else on the menu. They're going to get ordered and they're going to get ordered just as much as the other items. And that's what we're finding in Mexico is that every single restaurant on property, there's a vegan item in the top three selling dishes. And it's because they're just good sounding, I suppose. Right. I love that. I think that's really good. And I, I like the idea of that. Of, yeah, not, not having a separate vegan menu and just integrating it and yeah, and just identifying so people can easily see which is which. I think that's brilliant. So you mentioned mm -hmm. that you 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 kind of got introduced to the people there. So I guess that was just through so you didn't have to approach the the four seasons cold. You you got like an introduction to them through your networks. Is that right? Well, I knew that I wanted to work with a major brand and I really wanted to do a resort. And it just how, you know, sometimes when you just put that out there, it comes to you. And that's really what happened in this situation. That's what I wanted. I put it out there. I had a friend who knew the general manager and it was just very oh, nice, nice, very groovy how it happened. Yeah. It's important actually, isn't it? Sometimes we feel like, Oh, you know, we've got to keep things secret in case someone else jumps on our idea. But you're right. When you actually put it out there, um, you'd be surprised what comes back because someone knows not someone who knows someone. So uh, mm -hmm. I'm glad you've, you shared that. Thank you. So, and I believe you're expanding into some other locations with the four seasons. We are. It's a little top secret still. Contract ink is not dry yet. But oh, okay. Yes, we are <laughs> expanding to more locations. Wonderful. Oh, wonderful. We look forward to, to hearing about that. So maybe let me know as that transpires and we can maybe do a little roundup like on the news roundup um, when wonderful. that happens. So that's brilliant. Great. All right, cool. Um, so basically, so you're passionate about education and you offer cooking classes. You're one of the partners at Plant Lab Culinary School. Um, and you also create videos for Fab Fit Fun TV, which is a, a membership community. So just tell us a little bit, uh, a little bit about your choice of business model and diversifying in this way, because you've kind of got, from what I can see, um, several streams of income. Yes, I wear many, many hats, <laughs> I say. But I will say when it, when it comes to business, I made a decision uh, long ago that service was the most important thing to me. I mean, Martin Luther King said greatness is determined by service. And so that is kind of the backbone of everything that I do and why education is so important to me because I believe that that is my greatest service that I can provide for people because it's that old saying that you can um, uh, lead a horse to water but you can't make him drink. So I can give you all the vegan food in the world, but in healthy food in the world, but unless you can go home and cook it in your own kitchen, 
what am I doing? So the teaching aspect of my career has been very important to me. And I'm so happy to be partnering with Plant Lab. Uh, We've created online courses that can be taken anywhere in the world. Uh, We started with Italian courses and we'll be moving into other cuisines very shortly. And you can also take in-person courses if you're interested in that. We've got locations all over the world, permanent locations in Los Angeles and New York. And currently we've got pop-ups in um, Barcelona and Milan. We're about to start Chicago and we've had one in Sydney, Australia. Oh, wow. Fantastic. Oh, that's amazing. Wow. That's great. So what kind of, uh, what kind of, um, what do you have to take into account when you're doing that? I mean, I guess from what I can see, you're a big collaborator. Um, So when you're working with Plant Labs, so how much work is involved from your perspective? Like, do they kind of have handle all the kind of structure of of it? And then you just kind of rock up and do the training? I mean, how does that kind of work? Yes. So, so they handle the structure and the platform and I create the courses, teach the courses courses um, to all of the recipe creation. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Cause I'm curious. Cause I know like, for example, there are some people who like run their own programs and stuff. And obviously that's kind of a, a different way of doing it, but it involves quite a lot of work on the, say the, the chef's part. Whereas, you know, you've got to sort of organize the platform and the payments and, and all the rest of it. Right. So, this is so nice... to go back, right. To touch on that. And you asked me that before and I kind of skimmed over it and I'm so sorry, but <laughs> it comes to my career. I'm a big fan of creating partnerships because I know my strengths and I know what I'm good at. And I know the more uh, knowledgeable of that is that I know what my faults are and I know what I'm not good at. And so to be able to partner with people instead of having my own restaurant, I love the idea of partnering with people that have these established, great, amazing places and being able to offer my food at their establishments. I love the idea of having a cooking class and doing courses, but I didn't want to go through the entire beginning, middle, and end to launch an entire culinary school on my own. So I partnered with the um, most successful one out there. So it's really important to me. These partnerships are so um, strong because they know what they do best and I know what I do best. And so when we can come together and create something together, it's really, really beautiful. I love that. I think that's really, really good advice as well for, for people wanting to. to well, you, just don't, you don't have to start everything from scratch. And that's yeah. what I don't think a lot of people realize. I think, you know, I also create a lot of um, recipes for brand, for food companies. And I don't want to have my own food company. I don't want to start that from scratch. I don't have that skill set, but I can develop a really amazing recipe for someone else. And so having that knowledge and realizing that you don't have to do everything on your own the whole way through. I mean, to be an entrepreneur doesn't necessarily mean starting a company from zero. Absolutely. I love that. It's brilliant advice. This is fantastic. So uh, we touched on that. You're, you're a really big collaborator. So in terms of uh, approach, so I know with the four seasons, you kind of put it out there and then a friend, you know, is the general manager, but what about with these other partnerships? I'm wondering if you've got any tips about how people can go about contacting people that they would like to partner with, but they maybe don't have a direct in well, you always do. I mean, I really believe in that seven, six degrees of separation. <laughs> uh, there is no one that's untouchable, especially in this world of social media. It is so easy to contact anyone. Um, you can use any of your platforms, and I do constantly. I mean, I'm reaching out to new people every single day through social media, through their websites, through their contact pages, through LinkedIn, through Twitter, through everything, because it's so much easier. I mean, oh my gosh, if you can think 
mean, I wasn't really doing business 20 years ago, but if I was, um, they didn't have these resources. You would have to look in the phone book and call the company <laughs> and figure out who did this. Now, if you want to know the president of a major corporation and how to get a hold of them, you just Google it and it's right there. Right, right. Got it. Okay. So, because so you so don't you- need to have a direct contact with somebody to reach out. There are plenty of people that I've worked with before that I've cold reached out to them and we've created a beautiful relationship. Great. Oh, that's good to know. That's good to know because I think often there is that thing of, oh, it can be really hard to get through the gatekeepers and what have you. But I mean, you're right, in ter- certainly in terms of being able to connect with people. It's something I teach in my media trainings in, is that we, you've got such unprecedented access to journalists now because of social media. Um, you know, you don't have to pay for these really expensive databases and stuff. So no, that's great to, to know that that's worked. So it is possible to, I, I put in quotes, cold call, cold connect with somebody. Um, yeah. And, uh, and as long as I guess you're out there, you know, you've got a big social media profile, people can see what you do and who you're working with. And obviously having something like, you know, the four seasons under your, your belt is, is probably a, a good thing as well to help. That definitely with. makes it easier. But even before I had that, I mean, look, every job is a stepping stone in the direction that you want to go in. So even when I was starting my career, I was reaching out to even more people than I am now. Uh, cause my, my plate is a little full right now. I can but, imagine. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're probably coming to you now, beating down your door. <laughs> um, I, I, I feel very blessed for where I am. But when I started my career, I was reaching out to people like crazy. And it really is just about having a clear brand online. Not necessarily, you don't have to have the biggest following. You don't have to have, you know, the most comments or the most likes on something, but it's about having a very clear vision of what your brand is and what you can offer that company. Mm, I like that. It's such good advice, such good advice. Now, in terms of growing your business, so and obviously you've got a particular type of business. So there's different ways of funding a business. So I'm, I'm curious, if whatever you're comfortable sharing, can you talk a little bit about how you've actually grown your business and your brand? Um, sure. Financially, I mean, again, because I've taken the track of partnering with people, um, I haven't had to put quite as much of my own money on the line Um I don't, I don't know if that's the, the right answer to your question. Sure. No, no, that's all right. So it's mainly been through kind of set through you, so you've partnered with people to keep your overheads down um, and then I guess invested back like the funding you've right. received. You've I've always back. had the mindset of a gig worker coming from the modeling industry and the acting industry and into this industry. I've never had a nine to five desk job, my mindset has always been this gig. And so it's, it's okay, here's a gig. Now what's my next gig and what's my next gig and what's my next gig. And so building off of that. So I've never been afraid to not have an office job and not have a regular paycheck, which I know that terrifies most of the world to not have, (laughs) you know, health insurance through your company and not have, you know, a, a retirement plan through your company. So I've never had an issue with taking a risk like that. Uh, and then financially, yeah, I mean, partnering with people um, has been really, really brilliant on that. And then just knowing your worth. People ask me all the time what they should charge for something. Yeah. It's so hard to answer because it really is so specific to you and how you live and what you bring and your value. And it's just such a personal question. So, I mean, you just have to come up with a number that 
you're comfortable with. And of course, it grows as your resume grows. Exactly, exactly. No, I think that's, that's, an, that's a, quite a, a hot potato one is, um, particularly if you're, you know, in the consulting business and people sort of go, oh, well, you know, or it's for the animals or, you know, it's for this. So, you know, oh, yeah. I've heard all of these. I know I wrote a blog post about it because it was just like, oh my gosh. So I'm glad you've touched on that. Thank you. So there's quite a lot more. And as you mentioned, when you first started out, there was really wasn't a huge amount in terms of vegan and plant-based share or you know, cooking schools and everything. So now there's a lot more vegan chefs um, as well as this vegan nutritionists, dietitians, even health coaches now. So I'm curious, how do you go about standing out both, I guess, within the vegan business arena, but also outside in the general business arena? And well, I think you just have to unapologetically be you. Um, I've created a very specific brand and my style of cooking is very specific. And I think as long as you stay true to yourself and stay true to what you've started, then you're automatically setting yourself apart from everyone else. Yeah. Um, and, you know, me just being me, you know, I, I play in the mainstream world a lot more than I do in the vegan world. And part of that is by choice. I always feel like, okay, the vegans, we've got them. They eat really healthy they're wonderful. I, I could be the best vegan chef in the vegan community, but I'd rather let's go out into the mainstream world and let's convert. Nice. <laughs> I like that. People, yes. <laughs> people's minds about eating. I'm never one to take the easy way out of anything. And so let's go change people's minds about plant-based eating and what nutrition really means. Love it. And so I'm up for that challenge and I love living in that space. So is that why, because I noticed that leads into my next question is, again, it's another one I generally ask pretty much at all my guests, is the use of the word vegan in your marketing and, and branding. <laughs> I noticed you very much use plant-based and I, a, a, a little look on your website, I couldn't really see the word vegan. So I'm just curious and there's no right or wrong about this. I get so many wonderful different answers about you know whether we should use vegan or not or whether plant-based is better. Um, just, just tell us your reasoning around that. Yeah, you know, I go back and forth on it. <laughs> um, I, I don't mind the word vegan, and I, I think it depends on who I'm talking to and who my audience is at the moment. Um, I think plant-based can sort of be a little friendlier term than vegan. I think vegan, because I don't think that the word vegan just applies to food. I am a vegan and that implies to my entire lifestyle. That, in, that includes the makeup that I wear, that includes the clothing that I wear, that includes what I use in my home. That, that word to me is an entire lifestyle. Yeah. And so when you're talking about food, I tend to more refer to it as plant-based food because I think that that's kind of a kinder, gentler way to describe vegan cuisine. Got it. Got that it. being said, um, you know, I, I like the word vegan. I don't think people should be afraid of it. I don't think people should hide from it. Um, but they should definitely just feel, do what they think is comfortable. Yeah, got it, got it. So do they call you, like with the, do they call you the vegan chef at the Four Seasons or do they call you the plant-based chef? They do. Well, you know, that word is also changing a lot. I remember the very first uh, food and wine festival that I did. Uh, here in the States, they wanted to put vegan chef on my placard. And I said, oh, okay. I, I didn't really know the difference. And every single, well, not every single person, but almost every single person that walked by, I was the only vegan chef there, mind you, almost every single person walked by, didn't even look at the menu or what I was serving and said, oh, oh really? 
not for me. And they wow, walked out. Interesting. And it got me so fired up. I was so upset because it's not vegan food is not just for vegans. Vegan food is for everyone. And so yeah, exactly. that's when I every time after I don't let anyone if it's a mainstream event, I will not let them put vegan next to my name or next to my food because it's it is can be very stifling uh, in a main, at a mainstream event. Got it. Got it. Now, thank you for sharing that. I think that's that's really interesting and helpful to know. Um, so, talk a little bit about the marketing strategies. So, how have you? Because, like you say, you've got to where you are now. People are coming to you. So, what have been some of the marketing strategies you've used to grow your brand? Um, geez, work as much as absolutely possible. <laughs> Is that a marketing strategy? Uh, no, it's to really just align myself with people that are doing good things and bringing good to the world and staying true to myself and my brand and what I cook. And um, that's really it. I mean, as far as marketing, I mean, tapping into new audiences constantly. Right. So you mentioned rocking up to places like the, the festivals, for example, and, and you touched on social media as well. So what, what term social media platforms would you say have been the most effective in, uh, I guess, yeah, getting your business? Well, I use each platform in a different way. I use them as different tools. Um, I don't think that anyone should be posting the same content across the board on all of them. Uh, they're very different and you should use them very differently. Uh, personally, I think Instagram is what I'm using the most right now. I love it. It's super fun. I love the interactiveness of it. The new algorithms are horrible, but I love <laughs> the connections that you can make with people and it's very easy and I like the live aspect that they now offer as well. For oh, business okay. connections, it's always been LinkedIn. And I think that LinkedIn is one of the most underused social medias out there. Um, but I think it's so important for businesses to have a really tight, or any entrepreneur to have a very, very tight LinkedIn page. I agree. Yeah, very good advice. I totally agree. And I think you're right. It is definitely um, underused for sure. That's great. Now, you've also been in, featured in a lot of media, um, including mainstream media, um, which is obviously you know great for raising brand awareness. So I'm curious, how did that come about? So did you hire a publicist? Did you do your own PR? Or no, did you I simply hustle. build up um, a profile so that they, they came to you? Um, I hustle. Yes, yeah, so some of them come to me, but for the most part, I hustle. I do a lot of networking in Los Angeles. I have a lot of friends in the industry. Thankfully, it's nice that I have the entertainment background, so I had connections before I started in the food world. But it it really is just about creating social value. Right, right, got it. And what benefit have you, would you say you've you've seen some benefits from as a result of having this kind of media coverage, whether that's in terms of raising your brand yeah, awareness, sales, of yeah. course. Yeah. Um, yeah, brand awareness and sales, yes. But I think when you get the publicity of mainstream media, you get taken seriously by mainstream companies. That's true. Yeah, exactly. When you've got the whole, that's what I teach people is like, you know, if you get featured in something, you put it on your website as featured in and then the logo and what have you. And so many, it's frustrating. So many, uh, you know, a lot of uh, small business owners, I know they'll get this and they're like, oh yeah, I must do that. And then they don't do it. And it's really frustrating because you're right. It does give that that credibility. So that's fantastic. It does. I mean, I, I hate for it to do that 
to have that much credibility, but it does, unfortunately. And so you have to kind of play that game. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. So, all right. So we're going to, the last kind of uh, couple of questions to, to wrap up, what tips would you advise? So anyone aspiring to, you know, perhaps run their own vegan business, whether it's in the food industry or, or something else, but just, you know, being self-employed, running their own business, what, what are some tips that you could offer them? wake up early every morning. <laughs> oh gosh, really? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a morning person. So I'm inwardly cringing at that. No, carry on. It's all good. <laughs> no, it's more, it's more about putting in the hours, you know, as an entrepreneur, there's not, you, you don't have a boss standing over you, you know, watching your every move. And so you have not that many people are self-starters. So I know for me, it's very important for me to get up early, make myself lists that I have to get accomplished every single day. Oh, yes. Day. I'm a big list person. A and then even, I mean, if you want to back it up from there, I mean, I look at my entire vision and goals and for my life and for my career. And I have created what I call career path, which are all of the things that are going to take for me to get all the markers that are going to take for me to get to that end point. And so I have the major markers and then I've broken them down to mini markers. And every day I get closer and closer to each one of those mini markers and then the major markers. And then the next thing you know, like your career is snowballing because you're putting in all of this work. And so Mm -hmm. I've created this, this pathway for myself, which makes it a lot easier and it makes it a lot more attainable to get to your goals when you break them down into little, little bitty ones. Nice. Yeah. And no, I like that. That's really good advice. And I should just say, in case people are sitting here thinking, oh, Katrina's really lazy. I actually am a more of a night owl. So I do put in the hours. <laughs> I will often be up till, you know, one, two, sometimes three in the morning, every now oh and then. Oh my gosh, I can't. I, can't I might think. even do an all nighter. Not, not that often, like, because, you know, I, about self-care and sustainability and we need our sleep. But yeah, so I'll maybe wake up at around nine o'clock in the morning um, and that suits me quite nicely. But then I'll be working through till the evening. So I I guess it's like wow. your, your rhythms, your biorhythms, and also where your market is as well. Like, um, you know, like you may have to get up. I know the Americans are very big on early breakfast meetings. <laughs> <laughs> like sometimes yeah. the Americans come over here to Sydney, they're like, we're having a breakfast meeting. And we're like, it's starting at 7.30am. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, I love that. That's really good advice, Leslie. So just finally then, um, tell us what, so you've, you've mentioned you've got these goals, this career path. So as much as you can share, what's your long-term vision? Uh, for yourself and your brand. Oh, should I give it away? Oh, well, it's up to you as much as you're comfortable <laughs> sharing. <laughs> or anything um, you want to share. I mean, we'll, we'll put links to where people can find you, of course. But yeah, just curious about what where, where do you see yourself in, in the future? Sure. I mean, I would, I would love to end up back on television and books, which are already in the works. And really, my major goal is to just have meatless options on every menu in the whole world. I love that. And I love that you've put that out there now. So you see, it's going to happen. (laughs) (laughs) It already is happening. (laughs) Exactly. Look, you've shared some wonderful tips and advice, Leslie. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. So that was Leslie Durso, vegan chef and wellness expert. You can find out more at lesliedurso.com. And that link is on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts and going to episode 103. Now for our vegan business news roundup. A new stock index that focuses on vegan and climate change criteria has been created. 
The US Vegan Climate Index is constructed primarily by excluding from the Selective US Large Cap Index, which is a proxy for the S&P 500 Index, any stocks whose activities are incompatible with a vegan and climate-conscious approach to investing. Criteria for exclusion include animal testing, animal-derived products, animals in sport and entertainment, fossil fuel, energy production from fossil fuel, other environmental concerns, military and defence, and tobacco. The index, which launches on the 6th of June, and that's 2018 if you're listening in the future, was created by three European vegan finance professionals from Beyond Advisors, the research arm of impact investing platform Beyond Investing, spearheaded by investment analyst Claire Smith in Geneva. The rules-based index will be calculated by index provider Selective and published on a real-time basis under the Bloomberg ticker Vegan. Composed entirely of US-listed stocks, the index will form the basis of a forthcoming US-listed exchange-traded fund launch, as well as ETFs and notes launched in other jurisdictions subject to demand from investors. Now, I broke this story in my Forbes column this week, and I'll put a link to it on the show notes page for this episode so you can read about all the details there. It's fantastic to see professionals using their skills for good and shaking up the finance industry by offering ethical investment products and rewarding companies that show positive consideration for animals, people and planet. A new vegan dessert shop has opened in New Orleans, Louisiana, with a signature dish of French vegan macarons, which it calls car macarons, reports Veg News. I love the play on words, macarons with karma. (laughs) Mac and Moon opened recently in the Auction House Market Food Hall and is the brainchild of Christina Ostrom from San Francisco and Madison Grill from New Jersey, who met while working in a grocery store in Louisiana. The pair experimented with perfecting a vegan version of the French macaron as a hobby before launching the brand in 2016 as a catering company for private events. As well as selling the macarons, it also offers fruit tarts, chocolate-covered berries and a vegan rolled ice cream. So this is a great example of opening a vegan business that fits with the area you're operating it in. In this case, it takes a popular dessert in New Orleans, the French macaron, and veganizes it. And that's a good lesson, particularly for businesses with a physical premises, to do what you can to bring in the locals as well as tourists by offering them something familiar. Finally, Australia's first all-vegan mall has opened in Miami on the Gold Coast in Queensland, reports the Urban List. The LC, which is short for Love Child Marketplace, opened its doors at the end of April. Again, that's 2018 if you're listening in the future. Featuring several vegan businesses, including Flower of Life Bakery, I Love Ramen, and Sydney vegan pizza icon Gigi Pizzeria. And what's claimed to be the world's first plant-based kebabs are being offered by BVK, that stands for Burgers vs. Kebabs. A licensed back deck area with sustainably produced drinks, twinkle lights and live music at the weekends adds to the atmosphere. 
and the mall is open daily from 6am through till late evening. This is really exciting and I think it's likely to be the first of many such plant-based and vegan shopping centres. I see this as a positive step towards vegan world domination where every mall is vegan. Fantastic. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate it if you gave it a review and rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. Finally, I encourage you to head over to veganbusinessmedia.com where you can find more free resources as well as details of how we can work together to help you grow your vegan business. I'm Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. And I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode of Vegan Business Talk. Bye for now.